Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to the first episode of Season 5 of The Prestige. We're back. We're back for more. Each week, we watch a movie, we discuss that movie, we talk about the themes of the movie, the ideas of the movie, our reactions to the movie, and basically do a deep dive on that film, what it meant to us and what it said to us. My name's Rob. As you will know, I spent many years in the film industry, and now I come on here and talk about films with you. And my co-host on this journey and has been for the last six years is Sam, who is a highly educated and decorated lecturer, writer, teacher, all-round smarty-brains person. Between the two of us, we hopefully bring some fresh ideas and fresh takes to the movies that we discuss. We always end the show with some recommendations, films that we feel inspired by the movie of the week. So the films we're talking about, this is a link to it through an actor or a link to it through a theme or a director or some sort of feeling that we think it's a link. On the rare occasion that we don't like the film, it may be a chance for us to recommend a better film. But we always start with what else we've been watching, what other things we've been enjoying, reading, listening to, other bits of media we've been taking on board since our last recording. So, Sam, do you have anything to bring to us? I have been watching a few things. One thing I wanted to recommend, partly because anything else I watch has been stupid reality TV rubbish, like, is this, this is my house? I can't remember what it's called. It's a Stacey Doodley thing on, on the BBC. It's brilliantly stupid and delightfully engaging as all reality TV should be and invariably isn't. But my genuine recommendation for this week is the TV series Time, Jimmy McCoven series. It's, it's Sean Bean as first-time offender put in prison at the age of 60-odd. And it's just incredibly harrowing, but also very well written. I'm watching it in stages. I mean, given the harrowing nature of it, there is an incredibly realistic scene with a kettle, incredibly violent and brutal scene with a kettle. Um, and I couldn't really get past that in one viewing. So I had to watch the first episode in two bits. So I'm watching it in stages but it, it's very good and it's something you don't, I don't think you enjoy it as you're watching it, but you, you probably feel better for having more shit afterwards. So that's my, my sort of more highbrow recommendation, not stay to do do this week. How about you, Rob? I was going to say that I built you up there to be the uh, the smart, intelligent one, and you opened with a Stacey Dooley reality TV show. Yeah, I feel I like know, you just, just took me out of the knees a little bit. <laughs> I've also got two things to, I want to talk about, which are really is five things, but we'll get to that in a minute. So my first thing, first one thing, which is really three things, is the Netflix trilogy Fear Street. This is based on the R.L. Stein novels of the same name, the basically teen horror books. And this is Fear Street 1994, Fear Street 1978, and Fear Street 1666, which tells 
three, I suppose, three interconnected and dependent stories about the haunting and the cursing of a town called Shadyside. The 1994 one is mostly sort of straight-up possession horror. The 1978 one is evoking slasher movies of that era, the um, sort of camp movies. And then 1666 is evoking sort of period folk horror, things like The Witch and that kind of thing. They work great as three individual movies, but they also knit together really well to tell this overarching tale of this town and... The power of love and the ultimately toxic power of men who don't like lesbians. They're very good. They are scary in their places, but they aren't like really hardcore horror. They are aimed at the teen market. No one's going to be having nightmares from watching these movies, but they certainly are scary. So that's a good recommendation. My second recommendation, which is really two recommendations and may become five, is that I am currently in the process of re-watching the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I've got Disney+, Plus. I was poking around looking at something to watch, and I was really on book, I thought, oh, I want some kind of background, these things I've seen before, something I've seen before, something that's easygoing, just background kind of noise. And I hit upon the first Pirates, so I thought, well, you know, I've seen that a lot, it's good, it's fine, it's fine. I stuck it on, and I didn't read my book at all. i absolutely forgotten how much of a cracking yarn that first movie is. It's really well done. I'm not the biggest Johnny Depp fan in the world, but he really nails Sparrow, and all the bit parts are just brilliant as well. And then I've followed it up by watching number two, Dead Man's Chest, which in many ways takes what the first one had and adds to it. You've got Bill Nye coming in as David Jones, and the effects are amazing, and the physical effects, the visual effects are all brilliant. And I really deeply enjoyed both of them watching them through, one and two. I'm going to push forward into the third movie and the fourth movie and the fifth movie, and I'm well aware that I think there is diminishing returns across the franchise. Mm. I've seen the first three before, but I don't think I ever made it to four and five. So I will report back on our next episode. But as it stands, having watched the first two, they are both strong recommendations. The entrance of Jack Sparrow and his steps off the boat in the harbour at the beginning is just just the coolest scene ever. I I just love that. They're campy, they are tropey, they are of the evoking sort of more technical era musicals Mm. and pirate films, which I love as well. I love the originals that they're aping. So that helps. But no, they're just they're just they're just great. As at the start there, folks, we are starting season five. And as you will know, each season we pick a theme to talk about, an overarching style for the season. One season we did directors, one season we did franchises. The last season we looked at genres. This season we're doing something a little bit different. But what we're doing is a world tour. We are starting at one end of the map, I suppose. And we're going to, over the next 50 episodes, work our way around the world, picking up a film from different countries, looking at these different nations and the movies from them. Would you say that's fair, Sam? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Imagine a map. Imagine a world map. All all the, the sub-seasons that go through each continent will be joined up from end to end. So each each country will follow on from the next one. That's what I meant. Hmm. As best we can, island nations will come in somewhere. We'll work it out, guys. It, it'll be fine. We know what we're doing. It'll be fine. So we are starting, as Rob said, one end of our first continent, our first continent being 
was the Americas, um, South America and Central America, um, and possibly edging into North America as well, although we'll see about that. So we're starting with um, Emma, which is a Chilean drama film by Pablo Lorraine. Nunca me va a dar un hijo. Un hijo de verdad. Yo te di un hijo. De verdad. Te lo tiraste por ahí. Así que es tu culpa, Gastón. Si mi cuerpo es real, mi lengua es real. Es tu culpa que no hayamos podido soportarlo. Te la cara a tu hermana. Y es tu culpa que a mí me duela todo el cuerpo. Y es tu culpa que la gente nos mire en la calle como si hubiéramos asfixiado a un perro con una bolsa de plástico. Vamos a estar bien tú y yo, ¿no? Pues estamos bien. ¿Sí? Sí, estamos, estamos bien. bien. No necesitamos claro. nada. La no. gente nos quiere. Sí. Vaya a volver con tu hijo, ¿verdad? Es lo correcto, ¿verdad? Por supuesto. Si necesitáis que cometamos un crimen, no llamáis. Vamos a estar cerca. Mamá Emma, yo la amo a usted. No puedes hacer lo que quieres. No me voy a dejar solo, mamita. Yo voy a asegurar de que nunca se te olvide lo que él te decía. Tú sepas lo que yo estoy haciendo y por qué te vas a horrorizar. ¿Por qué esperar? Horroriza la hora. Emma is a, a film about, I suppose, about the titular character and um, her relationship with her ex-husband, a sort of abusive relationship, not not physically abusive, but definitely mentally abusive relationship with the husband, and the fallout from an adoption that goes badly wrong. And it has all sorts of things to say about gender politics um, and the, the state of modern Chile as well. Um, and it does this through the lens of dance. So Emma is a young, the emphasis on the young dancer. She's in her 20s. And the choreographer slash director husband is um, in his early 40s. So this um, age difference plays into, is, is one of the rifts that becomes apparent as the film goes on. Um, and there are excellent performances from Mariana de Jurmolo as Emma and then also Gargasir Bernal as Gaston, her husband. It's not an easy watch. As I said, it touches on fairly traumatic episodes in the life of Emma and her husband and the sort of violent um, incident that leads to the separation from their adopted son um but i well i'd be interested to see what you thought of it rob oh this film <laughs> i i'm 
I finished watching this film and I genuinely didn't know what to think. The film is an intense experience of a movie, I would say. There is a narrative through line, but it isn't a narrative film in the same way that, say, Pirates of the Caribbean is. It's just not that kind of movie. And I finished this film with literally just being like, I don't know what I feel about this movie at all. It is... The film is beautiful. The film looks amazing. Between the dance scenes and the night shoots and the flamethrower, um, it is an amazing looking film. And I think that as a piece of art, it's brilliant. It's, it's a really good film. It explores the depths and complexities of human character, the depths of grief and the depths of empathy and the limits of empathy, I suppose. And the limits of acceptance and as a bit of art it was very powerful to me did i like it i suppose that's to me feels a little less important to my reaction to it as a bit of art ultimately i liked the movie emma herself as a central character is very complicated and you go back i certainly went back and forth a lot on how i felt about her I think that, as Sam says, she's very young in the movie and that works to play on your sympathy a little bit. But at the same time, she does some pretty terrible things. Mm. But there's this fine line where you're not sure if she's either a naive innocent who is playing a game she doesn't understand or if she's secretly a mastermind psychopath. Mm. Um, and she makes some choices in the movie where you end up trying to like end the film somehow feels that it wants you to judge her for them, but at the same time is judging you for judging her because she's a young girl and she's not doing anything non-consensual, mm. albeit they are a little bit malicious and a little bit underhand. I feel like we're dancing around a little bit, guys. And so I'd say beyond this point, we're probably going to get into some pretty hardcore spoilers for the movie. This is a movie you want to go into, at least I think the first watch through, as spoiler-free as you can, just because it helps build that emotion with with its complicated nature. But I think I come down on the side of overall liking the film, but I fully accept that some people would deeply hate this movie. Yeah. And I... It is not like, yes, brilliant movie. It's yes, brilliant movie. I'm not sure I liked it or her. It feels like a bit like something like Requiem for a Dream, mm. where it's a brilliant film, but I probably don't want to ever watch it again. Yeah. And for very different reasons, but yeah. How did you find it, Sam? Similar to you, actually. I was thinking of, um, like, visually, it reminds me of something like Neon Demon, which is another great film mm. that mm. I don't want to see again, or like some some of the shots sort of some of Naruto films some of the more difficult parts of Naruto films that you think well that was a worthy watch but not necessarily one one I want to revisit it was it was really interesting the way they like you you were talking about the the way that your response to Emma your judgment of Emma as a character and what she does changes as the film goes on. And I found mm. the theme that I want to talk about and the idea that sort of 
leaps out at me from this film is one of isolation. And it feels like, on the one hand, this is what she is doing. This is what she does with her displays and even her dance. And she talks about it as, as uniting people. and But it, it's actually sort of keeping people at where she wants them, keeping people at, at arm's length. And... Um, it all feels very isolated, even even sort of brash visual things like her hair. It's kind of isolating her from the real world. Mm. But I think at the same time, this is I mean, this is a film where you think, well, some of the time you feel that isolation, you feel pushed away by her as an audience, and yet some of the time you can't help but side with her and be drawn to her. And that that complexity of the character itself, like like you said, it wasn't wasn't an enjoyable film. Not necessarily one I want to revisit, but I did really enjoy it. It, it, it enjoy having watched it. I didn't sort of enjoy the experience of it, but it's something like um, I was talking with someone the other day about the skin I'm in. It's sort of it's sort of visually beautiful and mm. arresting film, and mm. something that stays with you but not necessarily one you absolutely love and want to watch over and over again and this is one I felt the same about so that that idea of isolation seems to be something that comes up time again and yet there are moments when you get drawn to Emma Um, and I did I did feel like I felt sort of conflicted about that character Mm. the one thing I think I, I agree with you on the isolation thing, but I think part of it is there's a recurring motif in this movie of fire. Mm. Fire comes up a lot between Emma and her flamethrower. The fact that Annabelle is a firefighter, even the very early dance scene, that, that your proper choreographed performance that you see is in front of this giant glowing sun. Like fire is this recurring thing. The, the sun was a, pyromaniac in no matter like fire is this thing and the phrase that stuck in my head from the movie was you burn it down to sew again mm. and that is what i think is how i feel emma what emma is doing with this movie and what she's doing with this story and yes she's isolating but that's her burning it down that is her the distancing that the movie puts between you and her and that she puts everybody else is burning it down because that the final scene of the movie is the mall sitting around a real homely style dinner table mm. and she's there and Raquel and Annabelle are there Gaston's there Polo's there like everyone is there all the friends and family are all there and that's a real kind of like homely family-esque atmosphere and yes it's slightly awkward and yes it's slightly for want of a better word, perverse in the way the family's been set up and the nature by which she's uh, brought that family together. But she has, over the movie, burnt everything down. She's burnt down her relationship with Gaston. She's lost her job. She fell out with her family. She seduced both members of that family and almost broke apart that family and broke apart her relationship with everybody. She used her sexuality to achieve all these aims and by i suppose the rote of traditional patriarchal movies like there's a punishment coming for emma 
Mm. You expect that because she's doing all these things, she's being sexually liberated. She's using her sexuality as a weapon, as a tool, that there's going to be some sort of reckoning for her. But that isn't this film. Fire here is a yes, it's a destructive thing, but you burn so you can sow again. And mm. she has gone through this whole story to sow a new family, a new life. She can't have what had before. That's gone. That's, she can't have that back. And so many of the times in this movie, like it absolutely sucker punched me with, oh, brilliant, she's run away. She's got her son back. She's run away. She's gone to that family? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what's happening here. And like, it's that playing 4D chess thing, but she's burnt everything to the ground. But because of the seed she's sowed and in a figurative seed, but also a literal seed inside her, those seeds allow the growth of a new family. Yeah. I did think, I was thinking about the, those shots right at the end when you have, I mean, one one actually one one thing I did write down is just the the hate that you get, the pulsating hate in like a shot like the three of them in the back of the bus at the end, Emma and Gaston and Polo, or in the in the apartment where you sort of pan round from character to character and you get so much hate burning from them. I I, I love that. I it's sort of strange things that you love, but I, I really enjoyed the way that they portrayed that. But in those scenes, it was very definitely Emma who was the only one who was in charge. Mm. And then you got a sense of, like you're saying, the burning and sewing, but you got a sense that she had a plan and she was doing this and she has achieved what she wanted to achieve. Wanted to achieve. As you said, this sort of goes against the idea of, well, the idea you expect punishment to be coming to her for the way she has behaved. And maybe it's, like like you said, maybe it's a patriarchal film thing and she sort of stepped outside the bounds and you expect this foreign woman to be punished for, um, for messing up the adoption for messing up her marriage so huge air quotes around both of these because i don't believe it was her did it but in the eyes of a patriarchal society she is the one who has lost the child she's the one who has lost her husband she's the one who has lost her job she's the one who has lost everything she is a fallen woman a lost woman Mm. So she deserves punishment by the rules of the society. And she doesn't get that at all because she's the one in charge and firmly in charge at the end. I agree entirely. She is the person who is pulling all the strings. Mm. And there's a frankly brilliant scene about two thirds of the way through in which you have sex scenes of her and about four people all happening at the same time, all bathed in this lovely blue light. And the scenes are sexy, certainly, and sexual. But the blue light and the inherent narrative above that of you know she's doing it with all these people. She know you know she's doing it with the adoptive parents of her 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 lost son, and also one of her friends. And like, there's this real moment of like these scenes are the film's so beautifully subverts all expectations of a sex scene like this should be sexy and it is sexy but it's also 
awkward and there's this tension to it. And the film, the, the word I keep coming back to is intense. This film is very intense to watch. It doesn't really let up at any point. And you're always feeling like you're one step from disaster or triumph. And it's just a very intense movie but then you see her and she is very intense as a character that kind of swept back blonde hair that sort of gives this real kind of sense of she's staring directly at you there's no hiding her face she isn't high point hair or anything like she just literally this is her right there and it really kind of makes the film so intense and these sex scenes are they are that intense as well as being sexual they're just really intense and and there is an element where we're as a Brit, we are a bit more reserved than this. But here, it just felt triumphant. Like, you felt really, for me, that first time, that it's coming together for her. Like, you see that there are blocks moving in places, and like there are rug pulls, and there are scenes when the movie changes for you. But, like, you really get the feeling that she's actually, she knows what she's doing. Mm. And the disjointed nature of the narrative at this point starts to coalesce a little bit. One thing I liked but really didn't like Gaston as a character, and one thing I really enjoyed watching in him is the fact that he patently doesn't understand Emma. And there was that sort of... I suppose this is only something I'm, I'm coming to after the film, looking back on the film, is the idea that patriarchal society as a whole and Gaston is emblematic of this thinks that Emma is essentially a stupid little girl who doesn't know what she's doing and Mm. just burns things for no reason and doesn't have a plan. And looking back on the film, I can see how, how wrong that was. And I just get more out of thinking about how, how wrong Gaston was and how he wasn't, he wasn't just a sort of, sort of a, a, Jafar-like villain. He was... I suppose there was something more than cartoonish about him. And there was something... There was something in that fundamental misunderstanding that I did really enjoy. I do really enjoy thinking about it now. The two predominant male characters, Gaston and Annibal, they're both idiots. Mm. And the film shows them at various times being utterly outplayed by Emma and the other girls. Because you're right, everyone looks at these dancers and they are, like, you see several dancings and there are some brilliant dancings from them. And there's a tendency, I suppose, to look at young women like Emma who are young, who have a career that may be not academic or not very kind of intellectually or considered intellectually rigorous um, and are beautiful. And to write them off as just that. Um, and I think I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned earlier, but like Neon Demon's a brilliant kind of comparison here, because that is the similar thing about women being underestimated and women who who are trading in their physical beauty, becoming more than that and being more than that. Um, and I think this film, the way it handles Gaston and Annabelle, certainly kind of sets up how Emma runs rings around them. And it doesn't even seem that hard for her. Mm. You know, like, it, it, it was one of the strange things that occurred to me sort of half the watching films. Like, I'm not saying she didn't have obstacles in her way, but Emma had a plan. She did the plan and she got the outcome she wanted. Yeah. The film hid that from us and the film played with the form and the presentation to make it 
Famous. Like she had a plan. It all worked out for her, and she got her kid back. Yeah, and it's quite interesting. It's almost that kind of like I think again about like our, our heist movies we watched. Mm. Something that we didn't talk about, like uh, you know, Ocean's Eleven. Is that same kind of? You're not there to see it not work. No. Um, there is a, there is an element of heist film about yeah. this that I quite like. There's a, a there was one point in the film where you think well several points of film then when I thought watching it this was just about the break the, the understandable breakdown mental breakdown of a woman who has suffered like this and you think well the fire is not mm-hmm. burning something in order to regrow this fire is just emblematic of just the the trauma that she's suffered I mean there there are points when she you get shots of burning swings and they're like torching symbols of innocence, symbols of childhood. And you just think, well, this is, this is terribly traumatic, but this is as a result of her experiences with Polo and she's not actually got a plan here. And she talks about having a plan, but it's not. This is just her, her mental state falling apart. And then, and and by the end of the film, you think, well, and she knew this wasn't a falling apart. This was a, a brilliantly put together and choreographed. And as you said, almost like a heist, this this plan to get Polo back. And I think that that's really interesting, the way that the, the film plays with you, like you, the audience like that. It makes you think, makes makes essentially makes you feel sorry for her. You think, Oh, I mean, it's just terrible what she's been driven to, and, and then you, by the end you think, well, no, I'm not feeling. I mean, I I can still feel sorry for her, but the the reason that I do so has fundamentally changed. Do you have any recommendations for us, Rob, based on this? I do. I've got two recommendations. One is an actual connection that I'm just kind of taking the opportunity to talk about, and one feels more thematic. So I'll go first for my um. At connection. So Annabelle, who we've talked about, who appears most of the film like a lost puppy, um, has weirdly, which I found out, done a lot of British TV. He lived in London for a while and did a lot of British TV. One of which is a show from the early 2000s called As If, which I don't know if Sam remembers, um, but if you aren't of our exact age, you probably have never heard of the show. It was a I suppose a British take of somehow combining the feeling of friends and Hollyoaks. Um, it tells tales like four young friends in London who have adventures and tell jokes and do things. It was a really big, important, similar part of my watching at that time. Um, and he pops up as the postman. Um, so he, he's in an episode. He's literally a small part in it, but it's a chance for me to talk about that show. I shouldn't really get a chance of. I feel like, did you, did you ever watch This Life? Yes. Those uh, right, okay. I f- feel like I watched this life and not as if, but they're basically the same program. Yeah, as if I think it was a little bit more chaotic. Um, but yes, a very similar sort of vibe. My second recommendation is more thematic, um, and that is the 2005 psychological drama Hard Candy. Hard Candy stars uh, Elliot Page as a 14 year old girl who meets up with an older man and it turns out that older man is a bit of a paedophile and she ends up 
torturing him. And there's a real sense of back and forth about the character being played by Elliot Haley, where she threads that same line that Emma does of being quite an unlikable person who you quite like at times and you're on the side of and you're against them and you're like, you're not sure. And it's a real similar sort of vibe of this character. You're like, I just don't know what's going on here, but that's the thrust of the film is working out. Brilliant. What about you, Sam? I have two recommendations, both based on a single actor because I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to talk about him again. So I want to make the most of it. They're both Guy Garcia Bernal films, and I absolutely love him. Um, and he was, it seems like he was huge in the early to mid-2000s. Um, and nowadays, well, he's he's cropped up in this film. But back in 2001... He was in Ichimama Tambien, which is about two young boys and their um, relationship with a young woman, an older woman, um, and also sort of a road trip film. It's a, it's a coming of age as well. And my second film sort of related to this is sort of a companion piece in a way, although it's based on... And autobiography, so it's based on something entirely different. But it's another it's another road trip like film. It's from two thousand and four, The Motorcycle Diaries, which is based on the diaries of Che Guevara as a young medical student and his journey through South America. And I thought given the theme of our season five, that would be a good recommendation to kick things off with. I specifically left him as an actor because I knew your enjoyment of him I thought you would uh, get on that route so uh, I'm glad you did good so guys we are going to be back next week with something new we're doing wasn't well, kind of new and kind of old we're doing this season so we've been doing these main shows every two weeks for the last season a bit and we can continue doing these main shows every two weeks. What we're going to be doing is dropping in on our off weeks, what we're calling our small batch episodes. These are going to be bonus episodes, basically. They're not going to be in any way the length of these episodes. It's probably just going to be me or just Sam or just someone else, just one person. A short five-minute episode talking about a film we've seen recently and going in depth on it. So somewhere between our what have you been watching and a full episode. So I will be back next week with a movie to talk about. It could be the end of the Pirates. Who knows? Depends on what I stretch my fancy between now and then. But we will be back in two weeks with our next main episode as we move up through South America. Till then, you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. You can get just me by emailing prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at Kaiju FM. And we'll see you guys in a week and or two weeks. How much do you like beer? Do you drink it? Do you ponder it? We like great beer so much that we brew it. Maybe you do too, or are curious about the process and ingredients involved. 
Or maybe you just want to hear people talk about it. Come and join us by the Mash Tun, a fortnightly beer and brewing podcast by a couple of nerds where we brew some beer, drink some beer, and have a nice little chat about beer. You can find us on kaiju.fm or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for By the Mash Tun. Crack open a brew.